The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello, you're listening to The Cambridge Film Show. You're probably expecting to hear Emma's voice or maybe Yossi's voice, but COVID's still a thing apparently, so you've got Ashley here for the next hour introducing the latest cinema and streaming releases in and around the city. I'm Ashley, you knew that already. Joining me today, we have producer Stuart on the keys. Hello. Dave Riley's back from exile. Hi there. And we have new reviewers. Be kind to them. They're very nervous. They just said that before the mics went up. Hi, Matt. (laughs) Hi, thanks for having me on. And Spencer. Hi there. Are you less nervous, Spencer? I'm very... I mean, I was right here 12 hours ago, so... But I'm still nervous. <laughs> You'll be fine. I'm going to make I'm you go first, nervous. but don't worry about that. Okay. Um, we'll be learning about gay rom-com Fire Island, Adam Sandler's new sports sports film, Hustle, the harrowingly disturbing men, we'll get to that, and the latest in the Jurassic World universe, Jurassic Dominion. Hmm... We have things to say about that one. But kicking us off first, we're going to make newbie Spencer talk about Bergman Island. Okay. So you know this island? It's kind of special, right? Yeah, it's the island of the director you and Mommy like a lot. Yep, that's it. A lot of people come here to work. Then come see Students, writers. Designers. Wow. All this calm and perfection. I find it oppressive. Soothing. You know how hard writing is for me? It's, it's torture, it's self-inflicted agony, it's blood from a stone. Well, then, do something else. So, we've only got Spencer on this film. It fleetingly made its way to the picture house for a preview (laughs) and it's coming back next week only monday and thursday though if you want to catch it what's it about and should you bother okay so let me make this uh, let me summarize this so (laughs) a couple retreat to the island that inspired ingmar bergman to write screenplays for their upcoming films when the lines between reality and fiction start to blur now i love ingmar bergman i i love him uh do i i i if I'm honest, I, I wasn't a huge fan of this film, but... Um, is it just a bit slow or...? No, I think what it is, it's, it felt like it was, um, it, it was a bit pretentious, if I'm honest. Um, and I think that maybe I'm being overly sensitive or, or critical more than I should have been. But I think my reservations, uh, if I'm honest, uh, lay with like the editing above anything else. Um, too many pointless scenes that not only did nothing for the story, but stymied its flow, um, making it feel like a, a little bit dragged. Um, Sounds painful. Yeah, but the, well, on the positive side, the cinematography was very good. Yes. Um, Tim Roth doesn't save it at all for you? Tim Roth is always solid. As usual, and other acting performances were also solid too, um, but there just wasn't enough meat on it. If I'm honest, there okay. just wasn't enough to hold the, onto the plot. Now, I think I'm um, I'm the sort of person that would have been more patient because he loves Ingmar Bergman, and in fact, I was fascinated by the the, the places that he would have 
shot his films like Persona and um, The Seventh Seal, and like so I so they my t- my attention was fully theirs, but I think they lost it. They wow. lost it. If that hasn't turned you right off the idea of Bergman Island, you can catch it at the Arts Picture House. Oh, no, I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, no, we're also here to tell people what not to waste their time or money on. But Monday and Thursday at the Arts Picture House, if you'd really like to see some beautiful cinematography and you're a Bergman fan as well. Yes. Good enough for us. We're swimming over to a different island now, which sounds a lot more fun. Let's go partying on Fire Island. This week is sacred. We're going to Fire Island. And this is why straight people hate us. And also, heteronormativity, Judeo-Christian pathology, anal. For whatever reason, call it magic, time sort of works differently here. Finally, my girls have arrived! And that is our makeshift little family. We all met 10 years ago working at the same Christmas... So, Fire Island sees two best friends, well, surrounded by their group of other friends as well, taking their annual pilgrimage trip over to Fire Island for a legendary kind of week-long summer vacation. Um, They've got Sandra Oh as a kind of mother figure whose house they all go and stay at. It's a lovely, simple rom-com. The twist here is that uh, Disney Plus, actually, not Netflix, this is a Disney film, have finally cast a film about gay relationships entirely with gay actors. Hmm. Dave, you said it's just a rom-com. Is there anything else in it for you? You wouldn't be a rom-com fan per se. No, I. you know, I'll watch a rom-com. They're enjoyable. It's nice to see nice storylines and everything like that but what i want from a romantic comedy is i always want it to be clever and you know something that sets it apart from all the other romantic comedies and it it just didn't do that for me which was a real shame there were sparks of brilliance in there you know i was actually really happy with all the performances thought the leads had it really nailed down and everything like that and every single character had their own personality which is a different thing yeah difficult thing to pull off in a rom-com Usually your focus is on your two leads. In this case, there's actually the two leads are off finding two co-leads, as it were, for each of them. And they've got a really nice selection of different actors bringing different varieties of character in. But then at at the heart of it all, it's the generic rom-com story. And, you know, they grabbed maybe two different rom-com stories and put them running parallel, which was nice. So there's the main character. He's supplying voiceover throughout the film. He's trying to find someone for his best friend just to get laid in his terms. But it's turning out to be something a bit more than that, which is, you know, lovely rom-com story. And at the same time, he's trying to find something for himself. And he, in his own words, is just there to get laid. But he finds himself actually you know looking for something deeper looking for something more meaningful except he doesn't actually realize it and it takes the other lead i'm just screwing up i'm saying lead all the time because i can't remember any of the characters names (laughs) you're right there are there are two parallel lead stories here as you said so we're talking about the lead being noah played by joel kim booster who who wrote the film they're a a brilliant uh, comedian who's trying to get his best friend into a relationship and then he ends up himself 
meeting someone lovely. We don't want to spoil who, but like you said, everyone is afforded their own character because um, um, I've listened to lots of interviews with Joel Kim Booster and the director, Andrew Arn, and the whole point is that in normal rom-coms, there is a gay character. They're the gay best friend. One type of gay person is on screen, and you have the whole spectrum of gay people on this screen. This, the cast is incredible. Um, so Joel Kim Booster, one of the leads, Bowen Yang from Saturday Night Live is adorable. The fact that he's just in it as supporting and he's Saturday Night Live shows you how funny everyone else is. Margaret Cho, adorable Conrad Rickamora, who I haven't seen anywhere else, but he is one of my favourite leading men of all time. Matt Rogers is killing it on all the press. He's fantastic. Uh, Thomas Matos as well. Um, And Torian Miller I also liked. Um, Pepper Mint shows up if you're a RuPaul's Drag Race fan. Um, I did really enjoy the story. In all the interviews I've been listening to, all the actors are saying how important it was that you'd see not just the full spectrum of gay people, but their lives. So often their sexuality is dampened quite a lot so as to be more palatable for a mostly straight hetero audience um and the fact that disney plus have put this up is kind of great as well it's showing on hulu as well there's lots of places you can get this it is just a rom-com but if you think back to all the rom-coms you love and you'll remember the like the acerbic witty lines delivered by the usually kind of catty gay best friend Mm. this film is just that the whole time AKA, it's fabulous. Mm. So definitely go and seek out Fire Island. It's Certificate 18 because you got to hide the kids from the agenda. Um, and it's on <laughs> Disney Plus. Fire Island is a fantastic one. Mm. Now, we've had enough fun holidaying. We're going to get serious. We're going to hustle for the sports film, perhaps of the century, if you're an Adam Sandler fan. Taking me to see basketball or bare knuckle boxing. We do everything. <laughs> I'm Stanley Sugarman. I'm a. So you're 22 years old. Because you can't be in the draft if you're over 22. Yes, I'm 22 years old. Who's this? It's my son. How old is he? He's 10 years old. Okay. Okay. This Philly thing. There's room to grow there. I want to coach someday. Do you love being away from home all the time? Best chance to win in here is with you out there. What the hell am I still chasing this for? So you're just going to give up on your dream? Been in this league for 30 years, and it's like I'm nothing. So Adam Sandler is back on our big screens. He's broken away from playing goofy golfers and Halloween enthusiasts. This is another serious one for him. Dave, what's Hustle all about? Uh, so Hustle, Adam Sandler, is he's a career scout with the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. For anyone who doesn't know, they're an NBA team. That's basketball for anyone who doesn't Thank know you. what NBA is. <laughs> um, and yeah, he's been a career scout with them and he's just been given the opportunity to go into becoming coach, which is something he's always wanted. Uh, just as that's all happening at the start of the film, there's a major upheaval with the ownership of the company and he is basically forced into being a scout again to appease the new owner rather than get fired and you know lose this 30-year career he's been building. And he's out 
on the scouting road again, not enjoying himself when he just comes across this raw talent that no one knows about. And the story kicks off from there. Fabulous. Well, we've all seen this one, apart from producer Stu, who's here to do the buttons and talk about dinosaurs as a special guest. (laughs) Um, So, Spencer, you kind of, I don't know if this was a compliment or not. Mm -hmm. Um, You said it's Rocky with basketball. Is that that kind of, is that you being reductionary or is that, did you like it? Not at all. You've got to love Rocky. Um, No, I felt that... um, not all films need to be serious and like all oh, deep and three dimensional. Like it was just it it does what it says on the tin, and I enjoyed it very much. And I also think that Adam Sandler is a different type of actor to the '90s of Billy Madison and stuff, and uh, Happy Gilmore and, and films such as that. But um, after Uncut Gems, which is my shout out to that film, which we love, don't it's, we? We love it. It's very stressful, but you must see it. Yes. I, I just feel like he's open to more serious roles and he can play them. He can play. I think it could have gone deeper, but the, the film, the script didn't need a deeper um, story. You know, you go through this three act thing of um, things are fine and we have a problem and then we overcome the problem and everything's fine in the end. Yes, but that we do that, those three acts for a reason. They work. Yeah, I, it's a very classic storyline, isn't it? Yeah. Matt, you spotted some plot holes in that classic storyline. What didn't work for you? You forgave them, though, you said, because you did enjoy it, but there was some plot hole stinkers you found well for me hustle is a real example of how when you like a movie when you really enjoy spending time with the characters you're willing to forgive the inherent ridiculousness of Mm. uh it somehow being up in the air whether this seven foot tall incredibly talented basketball player is going to make it in the nba or something Mm. i mean he's played by a professional nba player and in all of the basketball scenes you can see just how talented this guy is Mm. And they're somehow trying to get you to believe that just because he got a little bit embarrassed when playing against the number two prospect in the NBA draft, a ludicrously named Kermit. (laughs) So just because Kermit got the better of him in one exhibition game, suddenly all the other teams are going to go, oh, no, send him back to Spain to work in construction. (laughs) Uh, So I think you really have to stretch uh, suspension of disbelief to absolute breaking point. But also I think... That doesn't really matter. I mean, he has great chemistry with Adam Sandler. You know, they have the ups and downs. If you've seen sports movies before, you know exactly where it's going Mm -hmm. at every moment. But that doesn't matter. I mean, if I could watch a movie like Hustle at the end of a long day, every day after work, I probably would. Because, you know, I don't always want to have to think about what it all means. I just want to enjoy it. Amen to that. Exactly. And I just want to think, oh, it's montage time. Here's the montage. Now, uh, they actually seeing... did the Rocky steps. They did. did. They did. And he shouted Rocky at he him. He shouted Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, meta. A sports yeah. movie in so Philadelphia. <laughs> You've got to do some jogging up a steep hill. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I thought it was great. Huge plot holes. I mean, I don't know how the NBA draft works, but why? Not like that. <laughs> <laughs> why has Ben Foster sent Adam Sandler out to Spain? Adam Sandler, who he's already said is indispensable as a scout, says, oh, look, I found this seven-foot-tall Spanish guy who's incredible at basketball. And Ben Foster's just like, nah, find (laughs) someone else and you're fired. So, But yeah, really fun movie. If You probably know whether you're going to like this one going in. Yeah, it was very, very, very predictable 
for mm. me. First scene, I didn't, I knew nothing about it because I just had the song in my head. And I was like, oh, maybe it's disco. It's not. Um, but my, opening my scene. Qu- my question to you mm. is: Is it a cinema film? No. Or is it a film like a movie <laughs> that you put on Netflix? Yes. At the end of, as as you say, like after a work, hard day's work, you put a nice little an- Adam's yeah. on a curry. Yeah, enjoy yourself. Well, that's it's a nice. But that's the film. problem Makes I had because it was so predictable, and I'm not a sports film watcher. So I was just like, oh, I've got to sit through this now, and I already know how this is going to end. Yeah. However, it's Matt's kind of turned me around because I was thinking, this is what you want out of a sports film. They've yes. always been the same since the Mighty Ducks. You know what's going to happen, but that's also the reason I watch rom coms. Well, I know I... where it's going. Yep. I know where it's going to finish up. Yep. Let's just see what happens in the middle. Well, if I could jump in again, I mean, you say you don't watch sports movies, but I would say that Top Gun Maverick from um, last or a couple of weeks ago did follow the exact same beats of a sports movie. And in Mm. fact, I enjoyed Top Gun Maverick for much the same reasons I enjoyed this. Mm. But where I think a sports movie is easier for me to enjoy than Top Gun Maverick was because you've got the sort of bonding and the predictable highs and lows, but then you don't have to worry about you know, America bombing whoever it likes. You can just have the kind of bonding have and the fun. fun. And, and there's no you know, Tom about, Cruise in this. It's about, you know, just playing some basketball. It doesn't really matter. You can enjoy it guilt-free in mm. a way that I felt I couldn't yeah. with Top Gun Maverick. I quite liked Queen Latifah as well. Like, Great I don't, casting yeah. Just yeah. a nice small role as Adam Sandler's wife. I yeah. enjoyed her very much. And by the way, did you know that Robert Duvall is 91 years old? Looking good for it. He's looking good for his age. No? Very good. Well. Come on. We've Well, we've explained that it is a simple sports film. Nothing wrong with having a simple plot. Dave, the, the deepness you found in it, actually, we know Adam Sandler's a fantastic actor. You don't cut your teeth on SNL for however long he was on it and then no. have a a lucrative comedy film career without getting good at it. Yeah. You enjoyed the the depth of relationship between Adam Sandler's Stan Sugarman and Bo Cruz, that leading kid from Spain he's yeah, scouted. I'll say his name for you. So it's uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's okay. Um, yeah, I was really, it was the relationship between the two of them that drove the film for me because... Mm. And also, I need to uh, a shout out to uh, Maria Botto as well as Bo's mother. Yes. She tied the scenes together. She's she's in a couple of scenes in the movie when he first meets Bo and later on, as you have to, flies the family over to give the support that's needed. And for me, she really kind of tied the storyline together for the emotional support that you needed for both characters. She's mm. a Spanish television actress. Um, um, I think this is her first film and yeah. it certainly won't be her last one. Hopefully you'll yeah. see more of her because I thought she was fantastic. Very good. And there was things where, you know, we were talking about this just before the show. Matt was saying, you know, there's bits of it where it feels like an Adam Sandler comedy, which I also, you know, everyone has a favourite Adam Sandler comedy. Nobody hates all his films. There's one out there that you like. Yeah. But it got me wondering, I wonder if bits of this were actually a comedy script that he got to start with about a coach bringing in a new player, something like that. And then, you know, it's been expanded into this drama and he's taken it, run with it, and he's produced, you know, one of his finest performances, I'd say, in quite some time. Horribly, I haven't seen Uncut Gems. I Tonight you will. You've got yeah. to. Outrageous. You've got to. I know. I I'm had to take get a break. It's very again, stressful. It, yeah. it truly is, it is. very stressful. Is. You, you mentioned that you thought it might have started life as a comedy, and I, I agree because I imagine this is the kind of project Sandler's had on the back burner for years. He is a huge mm. basketball fan, always on the front row at huge games Mm -hmm. is this 
just because he's got the money and the backing. The guy can make pretty much whatever he wants. Is this just him ticking the love letter to Basketball Box because he can and he just wants to be on screen with all of these basketballers? Because the credits is just himself, 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 himself. Yeah, that's the thing I was going to point out. The fact that he actually got them all to take part, you know, and have not just, you know, current basketball players, but there's former professionals everywhere. Charles Bartley shows up. We saw Shaquille O'Neal. They're both in the studio doing commentary on the games and the footage they're seeing. And obviously, you know, Bo Cruz, he's a very well-known basketball player for Utah Jazz. I had no idea. Yeah, if you know basketball. And then there's also Anthony Edwards. We were all expecting Goose to rock up, and then he didn't. <laughs> Anthony, It's Anthony Edwards, the basketball player. Now, he was actually another impressive thing for me. So he plays the kind of rival. He's the number two guy. He's the got villain. that yeah. spot locked. The villain of the piece. Well, Ben Foster's the real villain. Mm. But happily, he's not in it very much. And <laughs> what really impressed me was I actually thought Anthony Edwards was an actor who could just play a bit of basketball. I didn't realise he was a pro basketball player who they like, can you just come in and be uh, mean to this guy? <laughs> and I was mm. just like, oh, right. He, he was really pretty good. Held his own. And actually, you know, no slight on uh, Hernan Gomez. He did as well. Yeah. I was really uh, Hernan Gomez control. was fantastic. As a, I, I didn't realise he was a basketball player at first. I, just, I thought I he thought, was an actor. Yeah, but he, he's a basketball player who can... I mean, he's not clearly not an actor, I think, but... In terms of the chemistry he has with Adam Sandler, there's a real kind of affection between them that really comes across. And the scenes where they're sort of bantering about uh, Hernan Gomez's he room holds his own, doesn't bill. he as well? Yeah. yeah. Mm. But no, it was it was. Well, you're turning me round to it now. It was pretty adorable, I suppose. Mm. <laughs> it is, but it's classic sports film trope, but. There's, there is enough there. There's a little Sandler comedy spots, like you said. His little one-liners, which are definitely not in the script. He's just reading what's going on and makes a really acerbic joke at the expense of everyone else in the scene, but it totally works. Yeah. And you let him away with it. Yeah. He didn't write or direct this. I got the feeling he had a bit more to do with Uncut Gems, but I might be making that one up entirely. Mm. Um, I'd like to listen to more interviews with him and learn about how he picked those leading roles who, which were played by sportsmen, because I doubt he landed on uh, Juancho straight away and just figured, I want this basketballer. Oh, turns out he can really act. Because that kid is great, actually. Is he? Mm. He must be retired. You retire when you're 12, don't you? He's playing I a 22 year old. Is he? Is he? Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, I don't know much about sports, sports, sports. Um, a little shout out as well. You liked Maria Botto as the mother. I loved Heidi Gardner. She's another comedian who plays the daughter of the owner of the main team in question. And it's her horrible brother, Ben Foster, who she's kind of not working against because she's got more decorum than that. I that, like her a lot. That was one criticism I w- would have of the movie is that I just want more Ben Foster just in general in my life. Really? I, I think Ben Foster's a really underrated presence and he hasn't mm. got the kind of uh, breaks he deserves he's and, a very good actor but he's just a caricature I didn't like the character at all in oh, this he was completely wasted in this movie but mm. I, I would have liked to see him behave in a slightly more coherent manner because the way in which he sort of casually sends Adam Sandler away overseas and, and Adam Sandler um, said oh I haven't seen my daughter's birthday for nine years and Ben Foster kind of sneers and goes see ya well I guess you're going to miss one more and <laughs> yeah. don't worry the 76ers will send her a nice present yeah. but then when he finds this wonder kid he just goes nah 
don't want yeah. him. Yeah. He's a proper sneering villain of the week. Yeah. A little shallow yeah. for me. Yeah. I think yeah. seeing as we're picking out some of the, the softer, more romantic elements and the nice relationships out of the film, you won't be surprised to learn then that one of the writers is um, Oscar-nominated Will Fetters, who wrote Remember Me, The Lucky One, that Nicholas Sparks hoo-ha and the new A Star is Born so that's where we're getting the lovely mm. softness from I reckon so that's Will Fetters wrote it with Taylor Materne who is much more on the comedy side of things so that makes sense why mm. we're getting cutesy rom-com sports ball film mm. so yeah perfect at home watching if yeah. one of you likes your sports Mighty Ducks rubbish I mean this and mm-hmm. the other one likes the good rom-com stuff like me then we can meet in the middle meet in the middle for the viewers, listeners at home, you can't see my brilliant hand signals to explain this mashup. What do we call it? Cross genre. Cross genre. Yeah, we'll call yeah. it that. Anyway, that's Hustle, the new um, Adam Sandler vehicle. Certificate 15. It is showing now on Netflix. Cambridge 105 Radio. On Monday evening, join DJ Kuriakin for two hours of roots, reggae, dancehall and lovers rock. It's called Painting on Silence, the album, and it's the uppercut band collaborating with a variety of artists. You've also got people like Glenn Washington on there, Carol Thompson, Luciano and others. Uh, You'll definitely be hearing more from that. Revelation Time, Monday night at 9 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Yeah, so just keep it locked. Listen live on Radio Player. Are you suffering from buffering? Find yourself screaming, not streaming? Or do you just lag behind? Then it's time to demand better broadband. City Fibre is building a brand new full fibre network across the UK, giving you access to broadband from a range of providers that's more reliable and up to 20 times faster than average. So you can stream, game and video call without interruption. Get connected to full fibre today. Choose your provider at cityfibre.com slash Cambridge 105. The 811th Midsummer Fair will be taking place on Midsummer Common from Wednesday the 22nd to Sunday the 26th of June. There'll be all the fun of a traditional fair, such as Dodgems, a waltzer and Starflyer. And for the real thrill-seekers, there's the challenge of the superstar or the Matterhorn, with a wide range of traders selling food, drinks and handmade goods. On Thursday, we'll be looking after those with special needs, followed by One Pound Night, starting from 5pm. There's no need to book, just come along and have fun to find out more check us out on facebook just search for cambridge midsummer fair cambridge 105 radio welcome back to the cambridge film show i'm your host ashley you've already missed fire island bergman island and hustle we're moving on now before we get to the big blockbuster which will finish on the new jurassic world we've got a tricky one to discuss here in many ways and from many angles but let's listen to the trailer and then we'll see what everyone made of men Hello. Hi. Mrs. Marlowe, yes? Harper, yes. Do, come in. The words I have to say. It's a beautiful house. Will it just be you staying? Excuse me? Mrs. Marlowe? No. Until you give your love, there's nothing more that we can do. Apple from the garden? Yeah, it was delicious. No, 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 no. 
Mustn't do that. Forbidden fruit. Oh, God, sorry, I... I I'm I, joking. I... Oh. Written and directed by Alex Garland, who's known for 28 Days Later, Never Let Me Go, and Ex Machina. A young woman, the brilliant Jessie Buckley, stars on the rise, decides to go on vacation in a remote country house all by herself to get over a really terrible life event she's just suffered from. Comes across Rory Kinnear, who is playing the owner or keeper of the house, and keeps popping up throughout the film while she slowly spirals into what we're guessing is PTSD, maybe some depression. There's lots going on here. We'll start with the homework from Dave of Cotswold's fame. The folklore in this, you've got the right answer because you're from them, their parts. You, yeah, thank you very much for that. <laughs> I'll just go back into my accent that I used to have, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, so it's um, the bit I picked up on most when I was watching the film. I, I picked up very early on that. So we've got Rory Kinnear in the film as well as Jesse Buckley, and he's playing every single character, which is either you know reflecting her mental state, or you know Alex Garland's way of reflecting someone else's mental state, which is quite often what he does in his films. But one of the characters he becomes is he's this mythical figure within the village, which is a representation of the Green Man. Green Man is a weird bit of folk history. He's there, he's an antagonist, he's also a supporting person. So a lot of comparison is drawn with the Green Knight in Arthurian legend as well. He's there as a mentor, but he's also there to antagonise. And in this particular instance, he's kind of there as a symbol of rebirth, which is one of his main folklore tales. He's associated with the beginning of spring, you know, the start of new life and everything like that. And there is such a good kind of Ah, the green man is here. Let's have something that represents rebirth. We're going to refer to it from now on as the Russian doll sequence in yes. the film. Mm-hmm. And um, For yeah. both spoiler and horror reasons. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Yeah. We can't really say any more than that because you wouldn't want to on a radio show or even in polite conversation. Um, and for me, that part was also... I was wondering if that was a parallel to the other story he's telling about. She's trying to get over the grief. She suffered a horrible event in her life. I wondered if at that point it was representing the different stages of grief. Everyone knows it's like the seven stages of grief that you go through. And then uh, it doesn't get to the seventh one. And I wonder if it's rudely interrupted at the anger stage and is kind of Mm. left hanging a bit as to what's actually happened. But overall, deep psychological kind of folklore horror mixed in with everything. Do you know what? It's interesting you say the the seven stages of um, grief, I think. the the last one is acceptance, and I feel I did feel at the end there was a the semi final final yeah. final scene. There was a form of acceptance there, um, but you know, not to contradict you, but yeah, I did feel that there was some form of acceptance from um, uh, Harper. Yeah. Well, when her friend arrives at the end and she finally looks at peace. Yes, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's it, she looks like something it might be peaceful but yeah. this might be a good angle then are you done dave because spencer's got a rant <laughs> I've got turn a it over to please, spencer. please interrupt me let's put 50p in spencer <laughs> go on the rant all i'll right. wave at you when we get overwhelmed okay all right all right so um we've got to be uh, i'm look i'm i'm very conflicted about this film i've got lots of good things to say about it and i've got some negatives too and i think that's that's 
fair and also maybe things that are maybe more um not controversial but worth us all talking about but i've got to start off with it's visually beautiful same director as ex machina uh, the greenery is notable the countryside almost calms me as though i remember watching it and i felt at peace it's a lovely dream in the english countryside but i think um that's that's done on purpose and he uses that that tranquil feeling that you might get um and and that that there's a point i don't know whether you remember this about the tunnel the railway tunnel scene mm. um how would you describe that you know when you you have this echo you you sing something and it reverberates back echoes back and she does she basically sings in a round with yeah, herself yeah she's playing she's around harmonizing with yeah. her own voice yeah. exactly and she's playing around and it's sort of like um uh it, it, like it's almost like a, a game that she plays with herself. By the way, Jessie Buck, uh, Buckley. Buckley is fantastic. Yeah. I she's our finest new export for sure. She's what a brilliant actress she is, and and like I think she's the highlight of this film, if I'm honest. And in fact, the harmonising that she does in the tunnel then forms a sort of recurring soundtrack for the rest of the movie. Absolutely, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think that that was um, a, a memorable part of the film because it went from being a very tranquil English countryside, peaceful, lovely getaway to the a new she part goes of the world. Down the rabbit hole into hell, and yes. then suddenly this... becomes something quite unsettling. Exactly, it was quite symbolic, wasn't it? It was this railway tunnel scene where. Things start to change because at the end of that, of her, um, you know, pl- playing this game, she sees this um, chap who's at the end of the tunnel. Mm. Yes, one well, of the many chaps. Becomes more psychological, doesn't it? Yeah. So, Matt, it's hard. We don't want to give too much of a spoiler. It's quite obvious very early on what we're doing with the male characters in this. Mm. It's. You've mentioned it's kind of impossible to have an opinion without offending someone because the, the story is obviously so closely tied in personal grief, but also women's rights and violence against women perpetrated by men and how dangerous and scary men can be towards women in these idyllic settings even. Mm-hmm. We, we saw the scary man when she comes out the tunnel to start with. Try and have your opinions. Don't worry too much about offending people. But what? as a man watching men, <laughs> as a man watching what, men, well, what do you think we were saying with the way all the male characters were handled? The, well, the first thing I want to before I get to that question was to just sh- share a little anecdote from my personal viewing of men, which was mm. as soon as the film finished, the guy in the row behind me just whipped his phone out and said, OK, Google, what was the movie Men about? And I think that is a feeling which maybe we can all relate to. Yeah. I think a lot of people going to see this will be able to relate to this. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to talk about this without giving your stance on the gender politics of it. Mm. Because, you know, all, all of the men that she encounters in the countryside are threatening in some way. And I think that was interesting to kind of examine what's wrong with each interaction. I mean, when she first arrives at this lovely country house and meets Rory Kinnear in his first form as Jeffrey, Mm. and, you know, there's something a little bit off about their interaction, but I think that a lot of men probably wouldn't necessarily realise what the problem with the interaction is unless 
they're viewing it in a movie called Men, where you're primed to look for these kind of interactions. Yeah. And then so she has that, and then she goes and meets a priest, uh, and the priest is sort of classic parochial authority figure. And again, as a man, you think, well, what is the problem with the way he's talking to her? Mm. Then, uh, then it starts to get creepy with the priest, yeah, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, and I found that when it became super creepy body horror insanity, that was where the film really lost Ooh, me. Oh, it got bad. I'm well, because dark. I, I, I like yeah. to actually understand what has happened at the end in terms of if I was to describe the plot of men, I wouldn't even be able to begin to tell you what actually happened happened in the real world in mm. the sort of final night which for me is is a problem. I mean, compared to Ex Machina, which I think also had some really interesting things to say about the way men and women relate to each other, but it also had a really solid plot that you could easily describe what happened. Mm. Whereas with men, uh, the, the end is just so surreal. Yeah. Just think, well, I, well, we'll go back and talk about the ending, because I, I too like a payoff, but I'm not sure. Mm, yeah, we'll talk about that in a sec. But So then back to the body horror, because I think Spencer talked about all the great things about the film and it Mm. is a great film for the most part I think you really well explained actually what they were trying to do with the male characters and how things escalate and it makes it really clear um, Mm. towards the end what is wrong with the interactions horribly clear in in one you know the scene we're talking about Dave with the letterbox did that oh, yeah. go too far for you or did you understand what was happening because it's not just the letterbox scene the injury yeah is graphically in front of your eyes for the rest of the film and it's it is. horrific yeah and it's you know it's not pleasant to look at no and yet i'm in a horrible way i was drawn to it because i was like i'm get what they're doing here i can see the parallel mm. that's being drawn we've been shown something akin to it earlier in the film and the second you know the letterbox scene happened i could see from the start of it where i was oh going to go oh I dear, was oh like, dear, oh dear. this this is not going to be pleasant this is going to be something i'm used to seeing in a proper full on horror film yeah. um you know and it, and you know it's it's things like that where you, if you're doing a psychological horror you don't want to lose the edge on relying on the psychological horror if it's fading away that you have to go to a gruesome scare like this mm. and i found it in this case it actually worked because i was watching it and i was still horrified but i wasn't distracted from this whole what the hell is going on my brain right now i wasn't just oh this is so gross and Mm. yanked out of it i was fully engaged still and i was like this is the next level of the psychological play Mm. and then we lead into what the scene the russian doll sequence so we'll start with spencer what does the russian doll sequence mean to you okay okay so uh, this is something that you were saying earlier on about the chap that said what does this film mean what does men mean um i i actually misunderstood it according to what i read afterwards about it um i thought it was actually something far like far deeper about the nature of thoughts, about how thoughts should be um, sometimes listened to and sometimes ignored, and the idea of being the Russian doll thing where you are born within yourself. It's, it was like a, a symbol for thoughts mm-hmm. that, that ke- it, they keep coming and you've, you you've to just got to ignore them yeah, control or, them or yeah. ignore them or listen to them and mm-hmm. but be impartial uh, to right. them. And um, but it, that, that's not what the film was about at all. Okay. So, so if I look at 
what the the intention was. I actually think I know this is a weird thing to say, but I think it's almost secondary. It's about what the individual what feels. Yeah. Mm. So not... Matt, what did you think the Russian doll scene was saying then? Well, my interpretation was that you start with the green man, uh, who I interpreted as sort of the kind of ancient form of the misogyny that we've been seeing throughout the rest of the film. Mm. And then you have the Russian doll sequence and then it ends with her husband. And that, for me, was just saying that these problems, they're not new. They've been around since Mm. men and women have been around. And all of the sort of references to the Garden of Eden and forbidden fruit kind of hammered that home as well in Mm. terms of these forces have been around forever and even in the sort of very modern metropolitan man of her husband, they're still present and he's been shaped by them. Yeah. Even if he doesn't necessarily display it on the surface. I mean, he's the only man in the movie not played by Rory Kinnear. Uh, Was it a little bit nutty Professor Rory Kinnear <laughs> playing 50,000 characters? I found it artsy. I think he it was, was a good He was good, choice. wasn't he? He was good, oh. to be fair. Indeed. We are barreling towards needing to talk about Jurassic Park. And as the girl... I'm going to have final say on men. So the Russian doll scene I read is very basic in that it is literally a physical representation of childbirth, which girls have to do, boys don't. And we're watching it on screen being horrified by what's happening to this body. And it's just quite normal for half the population. Just like all the interactions are quite normal for half the population. Mm. And you've got to really be looking like, oh, that was weird. He shouldn't have said that. I bet she's really scared there. So it was quite... Black and white, this is about the body to me. Mm. Men is a fantastic film. It is, it's very yeah, dark it and really horrible. Is. You must give it a try. <clears throat> it's on everywhere in the city, all three theatres. Certificate 15, I don't know how they got that through at 15. 15? I would put it's it at 18. Yes, yeah, at least an 18. Jessie Buckley, our finest new actress. You can go and see her on stage as well. She was in, she's in Cabaret directed by the brilliant Rebecca Frecknell. Um, That was Men. We've got to move on now, though. Um, Let's watch all of our childhoods burn down in the latest iteration of the Jurassic Park series. I wanted to show them something that wasn't an illusion. Something that was real. Something that we could see and touch. Creation is an act of sheer will. see her again. We gotta protect her. That's our job. Humans and dinosaurs can't coexist. So that is the latest uh, Jurassic World Dominion. I finally get to chip in on the show now and talk dinosaurs, which uh, 
I'll start with by saying very depressingly that it's 29 years now since the first Jurassic Park came out all the way back in 1993. And and for me personally, it's it's a it, that's a really big deal because it's one of those films I saw. I would have been 1993. I would have been six years old. Um, and for me personally, that was one of my big cinematic experiences mm. one of the things that really sort of formed my impression of cinema and has had a huge staple in my 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 history as a watcher of film um but jurassic world dominion what is it i am very very <coughs> sympathetic to the film because i am inherently biased because i am a big child and i like the dinosaurs and i like the effects um but it really it's it's not got a great story um the acting is pretty questionable <coughs> um Bryce Dallas Howard I've been a huge fan of her in all of her sort of directorial roles recently doing all that stuff for Star Wars which I'm loving but in the film uh, it, it, there's not a lot there she doesn't bring much to the role that she did in the first two Jurassic World movies uh Chris Pratt again <sighs> It's almost like Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard's roles as Owen and Claire, respectively, have been diluted by the need for this nostalgic thrust to bundle in Laura Dern coming back as Dr. Eddie Slater and Sam Neill as Dr. Alan Grant. And of course, we've got Jeff Goldblum comes back as Ian Malcolm. And it's like, well, is this, this is, it's more of a nostalgia vehicle than a Jurassic Park, Jurassic World movie. Mm. Um, yeah. I take it Stuart didn't like it. Um, so yeah, ev- everyone's back for the party. It's it's four years on from the previous film um, in which you might remember Isla Nebula is destroyed, all the dinosaurs escape. We're having to learn to live alongside them as a species. They are wreaking havoc with the environment and we're hurtling towards environmental disaster for other reasons as well, which we've got a few little sciencey sentences thrown in there to tell us off for killing the planet. Stu, obviously, childhood burnt down in front of our eyes at the cinema last night. It's been billed as a nostalgia fest, but Matt, does it rip the heart out of the Jurassic Park franchise? Is it just too kind of clean and Hollywood? I felt that it was an absolute abomination, if I'm being honest. I tend to keep a list of everything I've seen at the cinema, and I'm debating whether to put this or Morbius as my worst film of the year so far, and I think I am going to go for this purely because I was just so bored. I actually quite like walking out of a film early if I'm hating it this much, but because I was coming on this, I did stick it out to the end. Um, But it's just awful. I mean, it takes way too long to get everyone together. Like the first hour of the film, you've got uh, Alan Grant and Ellie Sadler. They're sort of doing their thing in the Biosynth Research Facility. And you've got... Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard having some fairly inert chemistry trying to get their daughter back. The daughter's terrible. Uh, they didn't even bother <laughs> to get the... Terrible child actress. Yeah, terrible. I mean, she's so bad. Bryce Dallas Howard can't act, I found out in this film. No. Uh, and I think Chris Pratt should really consider putting the weight back on and going back to being a funny man because he just can't <laughs> do the straight action hero. He just sort of furrows his brow and looks a bit cross and... Uh, I disagree a little bit there, but I'm looking forward to seeing how he performs in the next um, Thor Love and Thunder film because I think he does that very well. But, sorry, yes. Oh, he, he does brilliantly when, he, when he's being funny, but he doesn't do anything funny. I think 
The only actor who I would say just about gets away with it is uh, Jeff Goldblum as Dr. Ian Malcolm. I mean, every time he's on screen, he's just a hilarious. shining light. Uh, while we're talking about ruining childhoods and legacies, B.D. Wong in this film is perfect. The guy from Father of the Bride, the assistant to the wedding planner, um, he comes back in his really heartfelt, lovely role. And a part of his role is to be disappointed in everyone else. And I too, BD, was disappointed in everyone else. Well, my question as an outsider, I've never really been a, a Jurassic Park fan, is to, to you three, I'd like to know if you had seen this without having seen... Um, the first Jurassic Park in '93. Um, would you be as disappointed? Yes. Is or, or were things just built up so much in your head that you can't Matt's be happy kind of, with it? Matt's touched on the first hour. Stuart and I were sat next to each other in the cinema, and I turned to you 15 or 20 minutes and said, "This is the worst thing I've this ever is seen." Bad. Really, it's the bad. writing is, bad? is terrible. You mentioned the chemistry of which there was none. The act, Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard, I don't know what happened. They were dead behind the eyes. Mm. The, they just look like they've got contractual obligation they, stapled onto they their They really yeah. do. The Someone needed bill. a new conservatory or kitchen. They didn't want to be there <laughs> yeah. at all. Um, they, they were setting up the parallel stories that sh- which needed to all come back together eventually. But it it took an hour and a half to do that. It was a poorly made, hallmark, rom-com version of a Jurassic Park film for a good hour. And it- cost a lot of money I bet it's, it's oh, not yeah. even about dinosaurs I mean the antagonists are these kind of mega locust insect things and you just think well what a dinosaur's not interesting enough anymore I mean, one of the things I did like about the dinosaurs again is, is that is at least with their effects they're following the science to a degree because they've started introducing some more uh, feathered dinosaurs into the film which I thought was a really nice touch mm. um, as far as the dinosaurs go um, but of course, I think they they let it down again by doing that old staple, and it's now a cliche that at the end the T Rex has always got to have the last say because he's the iconic character of the franchise. He's his skulls on the logo, but um, yeah, I, I just um, it, to answer your question about if I was going into into Jurassic World blind, if I was six again, I would have had no qualms. Mm. I said dinosaurs, this is great, <laughs> this is fantastic. So I would say. Definitely a family film. Right. You might roll your eyes as an adult going to see it, but if you want to take a, take take some sort of young impressionable children along who like their dinosaurs, mm. no harm. Okay, they'd be bored out of their minds. I think. You think? <sighs> the first, yeah, you'd have lost them in the first hour, and you can never get them back. They need instant gratification. Um, some of the little legacy things I did like, though, I recognised a few Easter eggs in terms of shots. So we, we shot for shot with quite a few of the early films. And what I really loved was every time I noticed that, it was one of the female characters doing one of the very famous male characters from the earlier films, which was very cute for me. Um, and so talking about female characters, I'll talk a bit more about the wider cast in a minute, but you're kind of saving grace in this film as a not big Jurassic Park fan, Spencer. You love a bit of Jeff Goldblum. and I, lo- I love that man. He does a good Goldblum in I this. want him to be my uncle. Actually, no, you know what? I want him to You'd be my dad. Him. I would marry I don't, him. I, or I'd I marry him. I think it would be a wild ride. But... Yeah. Gotta love him. <laughs> so what, does, did he stick out a bit like a sore thumb for you? He did for us, but he always has done. Sorry to speak for Matt there. But he always kind of has done in Jurassic Park. He was the kooky, odd one that mm. just came in as a shining light for comic relief when yes. we were really scared. Yes. So did he, did he work for you or were you just waiting for Jeff to come back because he was the only good thing on screen? Uh, the latter. 
<laughs> was it really that bad for you as a newbie? Yeah, well, yes. What was bad then? So how did you know it was a bad film? Because um, we knew it was a bad film because, as I said, childhood's ruined. If I'm honest, I want to, like, I, everything that was said so far, I agree with. But... Um, and you don't I, even I have don't a love for it, I, so you're coming. You've got really, no skin in this game. Yeah, I've got no skin in this game. But I've just wanted. To, I wanted to ask you guys um, if you had to um, advocate this film, if you had to sell this film <laughs> to someone, to our audience, what would you say? How would you say it? Dinosaurs. <laughs> we have dinosaurs and. Something I'm seeing more actively happen in Hollywood, it's always going to feel shoehorned because it has to, because we need to speed things along so quickly in terms of representation. We have a cast of women, um, a cast of colour, the only non-women, non-characters of colour are the ones that we needed to bring in from previous films. Right. They've made a real effort there. Um, mm. So the superhero is played by um, a black woman, DeWanda Wise, Kayla Watts. She is, she's mm. your maverick top gun, <laughs> save the day there. Mm. And then you've got Mamoudou Athi playing Ramsey Cole, who is the scientist who's figured everything out and is going to save the day. So that is... The one saving grace. I think they made a great effort there. What do you reckon, yeah. Matt? Sell I, it. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to sell Matt. this film. It goes, goes against everything, I believe. Do not watch this movie. But um, I think what needed to happen in it was we needed to get a sense of these dinosaurs actually being dangerous. At no point in this movie did I have any doubt that they were going to be all completely fine, which I think is, is a huge problem because there's just no tension. I mean, when they recreate the scene from the first one of the sort of T-Rex and um, you know Sam Neill says don't move their vision is based on movement and they, they recreate that okay fine but then they all just scamper off behind a car and he's just looking at them and then he just yeah. kind of wanders around behind the car and then they stare at it again and then they just wander off and it's like well <laughs> what are we meant to be scared of here I'm going to let Stuart wax lyrical on the old dinosaurs but because I was so distracted by the poor acting and writing and plot yeah, that's where was that? So like Stuart mentioned, they've evolved. We've got more feathered dinosaurs now. They're coming into the Pleistocene period, I think, or something like that. Um, but it was the CGI is very good. I feel like they've saved a lot of money because now come to mention it, there is no human interaction, mm. which is the expensive bit when you need to get the actors to act alongside your creations. And it just was not there. And that's the heart of Jurassic Park. When you think of the originals. Yeah. Do you know the silly thing? I came out and I was like, the thing I missed most was the rain. <laughs> there was no rain, no darkness, no thunderstorms. The thing that you was terrifying and I had nightmares for years. Upside down Jeeps in the rain mm. and you're getting, you're very likely to die at the hands of a dinosaur and everyone should be terrified. Even when they recreated the brilliant death scene with the baddie in the train using the same dinosaurs from the original, from the second one, um, that wasn't scary. That was kind of funny, mm. actually. There was just no threat at any point. No. They just didn't seem dangerous. We'll hand over for the final word to our resident... Um, oh, what's the word? Is it, it's a paleontologist, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, like my... Ross Suffer Friends. So, dinosaurs light. What was wrong with Jurassic Park? Just end it on a real negative. We love it when you do that. Well, I'm going to end, I'm going to end it on a local spin. I'm going to say, look, if you really want a nice Jurassic Jurassic Park, Jurassic World experience, um, maybe rather than seeing this film, if you're a bit of a gamer, go and get Jurassic World Evolution. It's an excellent game. It's developed by Frontier Studios, which is based in Cambridge. They've got all the original actors doing their voiceover roles, and it's a much better Jurassic experience than this film. He's a pro. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, thank you so much for that, everybody. Good first show, guys. That went pretty well. I think so. No, oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, so it wasn't that scary. Thank you so much, Spencer. Thank you. Good job. Thank you so much, Matt. Oh, it's been great to be here. Dave, you're an old hat. You don't get a well done. Thanks just for being here. You're welcome. <laughs> and thanks, producer Stu. Thank you very much. For doing the buttons for me. It's scary. I hope you all had a wonderful strawberry fair. We'll see you in a couple weeks' time. Cambridge 105 Radio.